0: Welcome to the Lit Matters Podcast, a show whose journey is to discover the books that matter, the stories that we should all be reading. I'm your host, Chris Evans, and I've devoted decades in education examining this very topic. Each week I'll be joined by a guest, fellow teachers, librarians, writers, and lovers of books from all walks of life, who will advocate for a single transformative book, one that we should all be reading. Through this podcast, I hope to build a collective bookshelf of amazing stories, Lit that Matters. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Lit Matters Podcast. Today we are discussing William Shakespeare's classic Hamlet. And this is a text that I've probably read and reread more than any other in my life. It rattles through my brain. It has wormed its way into every conversation I seem to have. This is the story that's probably haunted me more than any other that I have ever read and I am so excited to have today's guest to help me figure this out. We are joined by Ken Parker. He is a professor of English at Orange Coast College. Ken, welcome.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. I um,
0: I'm haunted by it too, <laughs> which is why I ask you on here. We I think this this play has jointly haunted both of us together. We, we've we've. Uh, We've walked around our campus debating and discussing this for years. Uh, and, and in some ways, I would say even the origin of the show started with you that, you know, we had this conversation about text that everyone should be reading when we've had that for years. Um, so so I really appreciate you coming on and helping me figure out this text that continues to, 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 to be a, a key part of my life. So, well, you know, brevity is the soul of wit, Polonius, right? Let's get straight to it. Um, This is a show about books, about books that we love, books that we think that matter. So, Ken, have you always been a reader? Have you you always been a lover of stories and books? What's your journey with reading?
1: It always seems to me like it started kind of late, um, actually. But, but, you know, when I think about it, I I read the usual books as a child. You know, I liked books about baseball and I liked, um, uh, you know, read Stuart Little and I read Charlotte's Web. And, uh, but it wasn't until about eighth grade uh, that I had a teacher, um, Ms. Melka, who just on Fridays would just say, I'm, uh, you know, for an hour, we're just going to read, bring something to read. Mm-hmm. And so I started going into my parents' limited library and pulling off books that I, you know, for whatever reason, the cover, whatever reason, looked good. So it was random. There was no direction. Just because I needed to read it for this class, and and that started it. Um, and then I would read, you know, writers like Steinbeck, I think, originally, and then I would read everything that Steinbeck wrote. I wouldn't read anybody else. And um, and then about eleventh uh, grade in high school, I had a teacher who. Uh, made a deal with me and she said I'll give you a book you read a book do a report on it I'll give you a book and then you read it and do a report on it and um so I picked something like the onion fields or something inappropriate like that for an 11th grader and she picked Pilgrim's Progress <laughs> and and I just persevered, you know? So little of it made sense to me, but I persevered and I enjoyed the journey. And then, you know, she picked Ivanhoe, I remember. And, um, and, and same thing, I persevered. But I, I think that the big moment was, you know, when I was in high school, that they were cutting programs um, right and left. There was a big budget issue uh, if you remember Prop 13 and all that nonsense, right? And um, they cut Shakespeare. And I was really looking forward to Shakespeare. And one of the teachers, uh, a man named Phil Foner, said that he, wanted, he was going to teach it for free. And they said, well, you can't teach it during school. And he said, okay, I'll teach it before school. And they said, well, you can't use the classrooms. He said, okay, I'll use a trailer. So I would get up with a few people that I went to school with and we would go to this trailer early in the morning like 6:30, 6:45 something like that and we would read Shakespeare and listen to his tape recorder of people like Sir John Gilgood or Derek Jacobi or you know people like that reading Shakespeare and it felt really subversive. I, I, you know, I don't know if I would have taken to it quite as much if it it felt like we were doing something naughty. <laughs> right. And uh, and that that had me hutch.
0: And uh, so what you say that, kid? Too because I, I had a teacher as well. I did. You know, I, I had a Mrs. Melka too. Who also fed me books much like this this teacher you're mentioning that said and it did it felt like I was breaking the rules and and and, and I love the way you described as perseverance right because you don't always get it when you're 15 but you know there's something there that's like rattling around that you you're trying to figure out so Shakespeare at 6:45 in the morning in a trailer unapproved by the district how can you right. not love it.
1: With no heat, so they would. We used to. That was when I started drinking things like Swiss Mix. You know, we would have a, you know, a thermos with hot something in it, <laughs> while we while we turned the pages, and it was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience.
0: It's it's Shakespeare. It probably should be uh, explored in 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 the in the cold and wind and rain. Right, if we go back to the original, <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, Ken, I know that you're also uh, quite the musician, and I and I always like to have at least one question that's sort of non-book related. And, and you know, I, I've sat in your house and 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 heard you play the guitar and and, and talked to you about music for years. You know, of which I know so very little. So, so let me just ask you this question before we turn to Hamlet: um, If you could have any three musicians come into your house carrying instruments and you could just jam with them, who would they be?
1: You know, that's it's, it's an interesting question. I think that given the times we're in and a, a year of this now, I, I think they would have to be really people that I think would be chill. Um, I, don't, I don't want anybody precious um, and, and, and just as strong. So I don't know. I think about, I mean, I, I think Dave Rollins and Gillian Welch, Um, would definitely be two of them. Um, And then somebody like, um, oh, I think Valerie June uh, from Memphis would be wonderful. If I could have Valerie June in my living room playing music, playing her little banjo, um, I would be be happy. And I I don't know if I'm a lot of fourth, but I mean, if Jeff Tweedy knocked on the door and said, hey, I heard music, um, you know, I would because I think all those people would just be so fun to <laughs> that, he
0: pops you know, up in a lot of places though. I, I wouldn't put it past him just to pop up at your house carrying a bottle of <laughs> Irish whiskey, right? Ready to ready to jam at that moment. That's <laughs> right.
1: And yeah, he's, he's definitely become um quite the literary guy in mm-hmm. recent years too, with some wonderful books.
0: Ken, let, let's uh let's let's turn to our our primary text today, which is Hamlet. So I think most people, Hamlet is one of those stories that most people have a basic understanding of it, but can you give us just a quick nuts and bolts, just the basics, least you need to know about Hamlet to start us off today? Uh The least you need to know. I
1: think the least that that one needs to know is that if you enter into a world that in a lot of ways um, feels uh, very realistic and the way you, um, in, in that it's cold and that it's dangerous um, in that, that, that there's love and there's hate and there's politics and there's all the subject matter of, of I think, r- realism, a real life. And the way one approaches that life um, is, is really front and center, the way one thinks about it. And then all of a sudden, quickly, this ghost appears, this thing that can't be factored in, um, that can't be, that, that, that one has to negotiate where just its appearance, everything has to be thought about differently. And everybody's scrambling to find a way to make sense of the world. And that that's, I think that's as succinct a description I can give of Hamlet as
0: any. But I love that. I mean, again, something that shakes up the world that certainly resonates with where we are today. And, and I'm with you. I think that Hamlet just keeps coming back time. I can't think of a time I haven't read or reread it. It didn't matter at that moment uh, i think i think mean, you're exactly right you know, can, can so many people i think are are scared or are, are daunted by reading shakespeare i mean they were scarred by romeo and juliet when they were 14 they didn't have that teacher who you know taught them for free at 6 45 in the morning in some trailer um what would you say to the people who were sort of hesitant to to to, to, to visit shakespeare or hamlet or revisit it that, that they were you know they didn't know how to cope with it the first time they read it
1: I think that the, the, the main thing to remember um, is to listen to it, is what I would tell people. And, you know, we talked earlier about working our way through texts and not exactly knowing what was going on, um, but nonetheless persevering. And I think that with Hamlet or with any Shakespeare, Um, the beauties in the words. And so I would say, read it out loud. And I would say, just listen to it. Um, You know, memorizing even little parts of Hamlet, uh, I I find really valuable with students that are having difficulty with it. Uh, When I teach uh, any Shakespeare is just, uh, you know, I don't say memorize the entire third soliloquy or something, but I'll say, pick four lines and memorize them and then say them out loud and then think about how you would say them. And, and I think once that happens, um, that the, the richness of Shakespeare starts to seep in. You've got to get Shakespeare in your ear and uh, just like music, right? And um, until that happens, it stays rather two-dimensional. Uh, I think so that would be my advice L- get it
0: in your ear and, and so much of, of Hamlet is already in their ear right it I mean it's sort of like the Casablanca of literature there's so many lines that students who have never read a play before know right it, it, it's already there are, are there any of those favorite phrases or lines that that, that they know that they're surprised by that, that are your favorites from the text I, yeah, I
1: think this is certainly a few that they know, um, that they, they tend to know lines, oh, for instance, um, to thine own self be true. And they're surprised that that's not Ben Franklin. And, um, they, uh, and lines like, you know, good night, sweet prince, and may flights of angels sing me to thy rest, you know, that, that, that those, those echo true and those really help and sort of, you know, hearing it. I think for me, um, it's often around teaching, you know, not seems is, is one that I find myself a lot or writing a lot to students when I'm grading papers. And, um, you know, just, um, and then I think the God's Botkins man is one of my favorites.
0: You've seen Lovely my day. office at work. Uh, you know, I, I have taped on my door. There's a method to my madness, right? <laughs> yeah, I think right. it certainly fits me the best as well, too. So, so, Ken, I'm, I'm curious. Why do you think this character of Hamlet ha- has intrigued us? Why have, we, why have we been studying this guy for the last 400 years? And what I assume will be the next 400 years, or if, if not more. Why do you think Hamlet is such an intriguing character?
1: Well, I think part of it is because he's... Um, uh, Relatably flawed, uh, and and ultimately um, leaves us with such a degree of ambiguity, uh, but an ambiguity that can be understood. Um, and and you know, the, I think the genius of Hamlet also is this: how much of the internal we get. Um, so. You know, that if we can relate to him and be in his head and um, see where he's mad, see where he's angry, see where he's in love, see where he's frustrated, and have those thoughts played out, um, is just you just keep going back to it. I I keep going back to it over and over and over again. and I find it fascinating. So I think it's just the complexity of his character who is at
0: the same time. So relatable. Do you like your Hamlet more on the distraught delusional end or more on the calculating lucid end? Or do you like the fact that he can be either in any given moment?
1: I, I like the fact that he can be either. Um, because that's that's what I think is the relatable part. Um, I, I I think that you know uh, Ophelia, who truly goes mad, you know, goes to a place of no return, and um, Hamlet doesn't. So what? So whatever similarities there there are in their quote unquote madness. Uh, um, their respective mad behavior. Um, One of them can't come back. And the other one, I think, can, has the ability to do it. So whatever line has to be crossed, Hamlet um, never crosses it, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and 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 I think in the play, there's that moment that, you know, obviously the, the, the part we all know with him delaying killing Claudius, is that that line of no return that Hamlet just knows he can't cross over and he's tormented by it? Is that what you think separates him from, from Ophelia that, you know, she's pushed so far. Why, why do you think he you know has that, that, that moment of reflection time and time again? And you're right. We hear his, his thoughts and his ideas throughout.
1: Yeah. Well, compared to Ophelia, I mean, Ophelia doesn't have any agency. I mean, poor Ophelia, you know, at the moment, that she says to her father in act one, I shall obey, that, that, that seals her fate right there working back through the play. Um, so there's this, there's a flawed power uh, in her father that she, that, that boxes her in and a flawed power in Hamlet that boxes her in and there's nowhere for her to go. Um, um, whereas Hamlet has some agency as a prince, as somebody who's loved by the people, as somebody who um, is thought to be ascending to the throne at some point. And, um, and so he, I think it's his agency that uh, y- allows him to be reflective, but also, so reflective that he can't
0: act. Yeah, I I love that line. I saw a production once, Ken, where Hamlet walks in at that moment. And I think your exact line was like, I shall obey. And then it's it's followed with my Lord. And she's talking to her father. She sees Hamlet over here. And you're right. She's completely sort of bound by every part. And, and, you know, Hamlet has this uh, ability to sort of escape because of his position. I think you're exactly right. You know, Ken, I, I know, you know, we, we've talked about so many different versions of Hamlet. What's your single favorite experience watching Hamlet or seeing Hamlet? I know you've seen, seen quite a few. What, what's your favorite? Yeah.
1: yeah, it's funny because I, I, I think there's a, a cottage industry now of just really um, taking pot shots at Kenneth Branagh. Um, and and I, I actually love that version. Um, I, I have to say it, it, it's, it, I, I remember I saw it in this art deco theater the first time it was f- all four and a half hours, drives me crazy to see versions where they're, I'm sort of following in my mind and then they cut out lines <laughs> like or shift scenes around. Um, and so that actually that movie version was really, um, was really fun and there's some really bad acting in it um you know poor jack lemon and uh and there's some really surprisingly great acting in it i think billy crystal as the grave digger um i dare i say charlton heston as the first player um i really have fun with that one so there's just some stupid stuff i don't get rosencrans and gildenstern arrive on a train on a toy train i don't like, okay, <laughs> but that it's big and it's fun. And I remember when I went to see it the first time that um, I was teaching in that, this little town at the time and this theater was in the town and there were a few of my students with their parents scattered around the crowd. Um, it's sort of, I, uh, that I didn't know would be there and also just sort of experiencing those young people Perhaps persevering through this film, so I think that I think I think that that brought one as many as I've seen, and I have to say when Hamlet, you know, versions that where there's just a slow brood, um, kind of drive me nuts. It's a four and a half hour play, and so if if Hamlet is just uh, the or or Hamlet as petulant teenager, um, is. I, I don't they don't sit with me as well as sort of big production fun stuff like Branos.
0: Well, I will not be happy until I, I see you on campus arriving in a little train to teach Hamlet to your class. We need to make that happen somehow that, that, that would be wonderful. you know and I'm with you. I, I think that Charlton Heston, the consummate over actor, was perfect for the player King role. I I almost cheered in the theater. I was watching that as, as a result of that. so, so Ken. There's so many amazing parts of Hamlet. Do you mind sharing your favorite passage, your favorite section from the text? Tell, tell us your favorite.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny with each new reading, it, 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 it can shift. Um, but I guess my favorite one would be early on. Act One, Scene Two. Um, I I love that Claudius is giving this speech to the court of Denmark, and he's making the assumption that that they're going along, and they appear to be going along. And then this, then, and then you get this the Hamlet's first words of the play, Um, and. And just the richness of it and the complexity in where he's directing what he's saying uh, about his inky cloak uh, and his windy suspiration of breath, uh, that, that he's speaking to his uncle slash stepfather, as well as chastising the court of Denmark for going along with this. Um, and, I, and I just keep, I don't know, I, it seems like there would be others far more sexy parts, like uh, certainly the third soliloquy, and, um, which of course I love. But that part, and then I would imagine I have to pick another, but when he does get angry at Polonius, uh, when the players are there, God's Botkin's man much better. Right. I just... I I I love that moment of that little outburst where he's not messing with them anymore, but he's he's finally having this, um, um, you know, directly saying something lucid uh, in reaction. Uh, So those are those are two favorite parts.
0: And I agree. To me, you know, one two is such a critical moment. I always tell my students. If you had to arrive late in Hamlet, it would be okay. You could miss the ghost, but you better be in your seat by the time one, two rolls around. It sets up everything. And you're right. I mean, you know, oh, this two, solid flesh. He, he's dealing with so much grief, so much emotion. And publicly, he puts his entire country on notice and his father on notice. And that's just critical to see, without a doubt. And I think you're right. Everyone goes to the sexy parts. I mean, you know, to be or not to be. I love the part, but if I have to read another paper on it, you know, I'll pull my <laughs> hair out. But but these other moments of the text just are, are so riveting and so powerful.
1: Yeah, they they really are. In fact, that that you know, the section just after the third soliloquy, um, you know, he ends that with uh, uh, the Ophelian, Nymph of thy orisons be all my sins remembered. And it's so heart-wrenching for me. And I think this is a part that you and I have talked about before in the past is that um, if in fact he does see this as a moment of deliverance by the, the woman he loves after contemplating what he's just contemplated and then she gives him back his love letters. <laughs> and, um, and that's a hard part for people because... I think it's easy just to say that Hamlet's um, insane in that moment, and that he's just angry and get thee to a nunnery is just you know he's just saying, but uh, you know nonsensical things. But the, to really slow down and follow that conversation, they both Hamlet and Ophelia come off as really remarkable for the level of discourse that's actually going on, even if in the end, Ophelia once again is so boxed in that she has no recourse other than just to understand things aren't well.
0: Yeah, that letter he sent her that that says, whilst in this machine, right, they're both sort of trapped in that moment and trapped in that world. Uh, Yeah, that's such a haunting, haunting part. So, so Kian, why do you think Hamlet matters like in our world today in 2021 why is hamlet important
1: in this moment i think in different moments it it's a rich enough play to be you know important for different reasons but you know when you were talking about asking me about favorite lines i mean one not far away is that you know one can smile and still be a villain and i think that the political aspect of hamlet is so intriguing and um so and i'm so desperate to teach it to my students and have them experience it because understanding a performance and understanding the difference between a virtuous performance and an unvirtuous performance is absolutely the moment we're in so that's yeah, it's, it's interesting you ask that because, you know, I'm teaching it right now um, in a combined class um, with Professor Ragno. And, and the two of us are so, um, we're so desperate to teach it. Uh, I think our students don't know what hit them.
0: And, and I think they can, re- I mean, they relate to Hamlet because he's this guy like Ophelia, trying to figure out his world, trying to figure out his bearings and what he's going through and what he's understanding. And he's recognizing that so many of these mechanisms around him, you know, are either leading him to a place he doesn't want to be or forcing him into a box that, you know, he, he, he has to resist. And I think it, it, it relates on so many levels of who we are. And you're right. Politically, when we see Claudius, that resonates with everything in our world. Like, are we making it, you know, the, the I, I never want to give away spoilers, but it doesn't go well for Denmark, right? Because they're not paying attention to the larger context as well. So, so, so Ken, as we wrap this up, what's one thing that you think a reader of Hamlet or a viewer of Hamlet should be thinking about when they visit this play?
1: I think I I said it a little bit a moment ago, which is that it is a play about performance, and it's a play about um, the virtue of performance. Um, that to start thinking about the the play as well as our world, you know, is that is not in terms of heaven and earth, which people tend to wield. You know, like weapons, you know. You know that in in Hamlet, it's about the space between heaven and earth, and drama's role in that, and performance's role in that. And so, I I think that that's the key is to understand the power dynamics going on at any given moment. You know, I use uh, poker analogy with uh, uh, my students. You know that that you you're playing five card stud or something you know that that you're that every time people walk on and off the stage you have to kind of reshuffle the deck and figure out what the power dynamic it is because that that indicates how people will speak how people will respond how people will strategize about what they want to get across and then it gets reshuffled again with with every scene and that brings out the performative aspect to it. So I think that, that that's it. That there's a there's this constantly shifting power dynamic that informs language, and that there's a uh, um, that that
0: everything's a performance all the world's a stage, right? In so many ways. you're Exactly right. Well, Ken, thank you so very much for joining us. I, I, I cannot wait to, to revisit Hamlet again. I cannot wait to, to see you again and have these conversations live. And we'll continue our discussion on campus uh, to, to, to find some kind of truth to this amazing, amazing text. Uh, so thank you so very much.
1: Well, thank you very much. This is wonderful.
0: Well, I can't wait to have you get on the show. So thank you so very much for listening to the Lit Matters podcast. Please join us for another episode in two weeks. And please be sure to subscribe to the Lit Matters podcast through Apple Music, through Podbean. Uh, Leave a review, suggest any future book titles that we can discuss. And in the immortal words of Hamlet's rival Laertes, my necessaries are embarked. Farewell. Into Lit Matters. All content is written by Chris Evans and the show is produced by Steve Baldwin. Music was provided by the band Soup. Find them at Apple Music and Spotify.